You're listening to Interview Time. Monster Rally is the creative ecosystem of Cleveland-based artist, designer, and producer Ted Fian. Fian scours thrift shops, estate sales, and used vinyl bins for long-forgotten exotica, tropicalia, and obscure 60s South Asian pop records, recontextualizing them into richly sampled instrumental hip-hop albums, all of which are adorned with handmade collages of verdant jungle flora and fauna. Fian creates a total sensory experience, transporting the listener into a lush, tropical fantasy world filled with adventure, mystery, and playful jungle creatures. In this episode, Fian and I discuss his latest release, Castaways Volume 1, his creative life, and how, by discovering the long-lost world of Exotica, he found artistic freedom. Ted Fian, welcome to Interview Time. Thanks so much. I'm happy to be here. Um, so you just, uh, well, I think in August you just released Castaways Volume 1, which right. if I'm, is a is a collection of four EPs and then you've added sort of, I think one or two like unreleased tracks from each one of those EPs onto it. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious why, what, why did you want to, why did you decide to kind of compile that and release that as one package now? Yeah. I've been thinking about doing it for kind of a long time. Um, what the main driver for me really was that I, when I started the project and really until now, I'm big into the vinyl because the vinyl is so much of a part of the the composition of the music. You know, it's about like searching for and finding those records and sampling them and, and then returning them to their vinyl form. So the, the fact that I have music, especially that are in EPs, you know, like anything that's beyond a single. So like an EP or a longer single or something that's not on vinyl bothers me. <laughs> and I don't expect to release everything at the same time like that necessarily, but I've been trying to find uh, a vinyl home for all of all of my music like that um, to this point. So I started with these and then ideally, hopefully next year, there'll be a volume two, <clears throat> volume two. You're a musician. You're a visual artist. You and your wife uh, run Valley Cruise Press. Yep. Um, you're an incredibly like uh, creative uh, person. And uh, I just wanted to know, have you always been so creatively driven? even as a child? Um, thank you, by the way. Um, I, I don't really think about it so much like that. When I was younger, like not so much, I think I always had interest in creative things, although I wasn't, didn't feel so much like a creative person myself. Um, I think for kids, it's sort of hard to say. I, I never like got told I was drawing a lot or I was not like a prodigy when I was younger or something playing music. Um, but I like always had these passions. So, you know, as soon as I was able to like really get into music, I, I got like very into it and I wanted to know everything about all the people who made it and all these things. Like I remember I used to drive to school. I went to a school that was like 45 minutes away when I was in middle school. My mom would drive me every day and we used to listen to the rap and R and B station. And I remember just like telling her for hours about the different like rap clicks and who was involved with what and who the producers were. And like, the, I was like the Rough Riders, like they got DMX in the front here. Okay. But over here, like these are the Wu-Tang people and they got risen. He's the one making all the beats. And so my mom, I don't think she cared at all, but I was just like, so, so interested in, into that kind of stuff. Um, and then I didn't start playing music really until I was in sixth grade, um, just like started playing guitar and stuff and had like a four track recorder and was making a bunch of stuff. And around that time, because of music, I got into the artwork because it was 
sort of a means uh, to create the visual for the music. Um, and that just sort of carried me through really until today. I'm doing the same thing, just in, in a bit of a different way. So even, even though it's so, sorry, you said in the sixth grade, you started playing guitar. Yeah. And then, but at the same time you started recording, you got a four track recorder and started recording. Yeah. That I was always more interested in that really. Like I had, um, friends, we, we all sort of started at the same time. So like, we're all playing guitars and all your friends, you know, you know this, if you were ever a sixth, seven year old dude who or a sixth, seventh, eighth grade dude who had friends who were learning how to play guitar, you're just hearing like the first four notes of the national anthem for like an hour, you know, yeah. just like, I'm going to get it, you know, like, hold on. And then they crank up the distortion because we all saw the Jimi Hendrix Woodstock national anthem. And then you're just like, no, no, this one is awesome. But <laughs> I like to this day still can't play any songs on, on guitar. Like I cannot play other people's songs because I never, I never learned them. I, that was never like my interest was uh, playing like learn how to play Freebird or learn how to play, you know, Satisfaction or something. Like I, I was always just more interested in the methods of uh, just like, even if it wasn't very good and most of it wasn't, but just like making my own music, you know? So that was like, I got the guitar and then I was like immediately with the recorder, just trying to like, do the guitar and then like have a like my sister's boyfriend had a bass so it's just like trying to play on the bass and just you know like a little bit of drums or something like i was much more interested in creating new stuff um and even the stuff i made to this day i, I still can't even remember a lot of it like i it's a good thing like i have a lot of stuff recorded and i have to think like i should put this out and then i think well if i put it out and people liked it like i'd have to relearn how to play it like there's no way so it was always sort of a like you were always interested in just creating like your own thing always yeah and i think like i was never and even i'll say it now like i was never particularly skilled i was just i had like a lot of enthusiasm for learning how to you know use these uh like analog things to record and just like different instruments and i was always buying any instrument i found at a thrift store that kind of thing just like even if i didn't know how to play it i could figure out how to play like a couple of notes that would go with like this other thing you know right were you, so you also mentioned to me at the same time that you, okay, so you were recording, you were playing. So when you started, you started recording right away and you started the visual side of it as well. Yeah, right. Because it was like right away, all right, so I'm playing this and then a couple of my buddies, so like, all right, we have a little band or something. And so now like right away, we need t-shirts, you know, or like we need <laughs> cover art for our record. <laughs> like nobody cared but us. Like I, the first ones I ever made were um, like, screenshots of super mario 3 nes and i would just find like the 16-bit text and had it say that the band name and then we oh, would wow. just buy the the iron-on transfers from staples or something and just like iron them on our shirts and like we were the only ones who wore them but i was just like yeah this is awesome and were you guys handing out records like were or tapes or however CDs, yeah yeah guess, it was mostly but... cds yeah like a like a cdr um for sure like that with a little like insert of, of artwork and everything so things must have been working um pretty well because your high school band driver's side impact right. it's kind of an emo band you guys actually signed a record deal um we did. right as I yeah and it, I mean, right as you were is, graduating <laughs> to say that things went pretty well i think yeah eventually they did i mean that was uh many many years later so like there was a couple bands in there and, and actually some of them involved the same people that wound up being in uh dsi that's what i always say but right um ending up being in dsi and so that was cool like we all just sort of like the people who wound up being i don't want to say better necessarily but more driven and uh just like to, to do the thing with music 
those people sort of found themselves together, whereas the other people who were just playing the national anthem kind of got drifted apart. Do you know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. And so, yeah, I mean, years later, like, I think I was in a version of, of the band and then the actual version of the band that got signed from like sophomore year of high school until really, you know, like the next six years, maybe. I remember well when I was, uh, it was like February of 2006 when I was going to graduate high school. And I said, <clears throat> I remember having dinner with my parents being like, because they're very, very into colleges. My mom was like driving you around, check out all the college and stuff being like, so you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to college. I got this band and uh, like, I really think we can do it, <laughs> which I mean, like, of course, I mean, everybody says that and thinks that it's probably even worse now because there's so many ways to get your music out there. But uh, my parents actually took it pretty well, but then luckily October that year, we signed the record deal. So like, it was pretty fast. How did you guys get discovered? So we had been playing in, in Cleveland for a while, just like, it's funny. I don't know if it's even still this way now, but back then it was like maybe the end of this before all the streaming stuff where it was like very regional, you know? So we sort of had built up a following here and we had had some people who used to put on the shows. Um, they had a management company. And so we were sort of like managed by them. Um, but they basically, we were just like recording music all the time, making music. And we somehow got uh, in touch with a handful of these record labels and one of them was victory and we went and we did a showcase so like they called us up we went to chicago they rented out this like uh club you know and it was just us with like a handful of people from the label and we played and it was all good um and then at the last song we only played three songs and you're supposed to just go like so nuts even though there's nobody there you know and right. particularly with that kind of music it's like all about showmanship you know, right. so like I'm, I'm on the, the amp, just like slamming the bass, you know, I'm going to like throw it over my shoulder or whatever. And on our last song, there was one point where it's supposed to come in like hard on the downbeat and our drummer missed the downbeat. <laughs> and like, it's the most minor thing, but it really like, if you're listening to sign the band, you're just like, mm. so that happened, whatever. We drove back to Cleveland that night, just like so defeated. And then uh, like two weeks later, we heard back from them. They're like, well, you know, we like you, but like, you, you missed that downbeat. <laughs> like, wow. Basically called us out. Like you're not ready to tour because that is a big thing. It's like, you have to tour, you have to go out there and show all these people how you do it. And uh, we convinced them to have a second showcase. So before that one, we did like so much practicing beforehand and then we went and then I think, you know, we did as well as we could and uh, they offered us the deal. So it was like, a, it was like a months long process. I mean, years long to try to get them to listen to it. And then the actual getting of the record deal, it was like a couple of months and then, we signed it and we recorded the album like uh, February of the next year. What was it like? I mean, you, you talked about sitting at the dinner table with your mom and dad and totally into colleges as I think right. a lot of parents are. And yeah, um, I understand it. What was it like for you though, at 18 years old, it's most kids are going to college or they're entering the workforce or they're, you know, right. you're going out and you're kind of maybe living what had been your dream. You thought up to that yep. point, what was that experience like at that time? Um, I think, you know, it was a combination of feeling like so hyped and gratified, you know, and also just like still kind of like a little sad and disappointed because what you think like, you know, you don't realize how many steps there are to the actual goal that you have. So, you know, we're starting like, we always say like, we know when you get signed, we're going to get huge, you know, all this sort of stuff, um, you know, whatever. But in between that is like, like recording the album and hopefully it catches on and then touring these things and then like feeling disappointed when the album doesn't do as well as you thought or like you make this video and like 
they're not going to play it on Fuse or whatever. You know what I mean? And whatever at the time was. So like, and everything I just remember at the time was so um, like immediate and frantic. It was always like, you have to sign this right now or whatever. And I remember this is a thing uh, I had mentioned to you that I, so I was 18. Our, the oldest dude was 21 and our drummer was 15. And so like he was in high school and it was like, okay, turns out they're not going to sign you. The record deal's over because your drummer can't sign. So, because he's not 18. Wow. So then it's just, I remember we're like all sitting at Applebee's and somebody's just like, somebody get his mom, you know? And so like, we're calling like the label, like let his mom sign it. Like we have to get this record deal. So anyway, it all worked out, but everything sort of had that kind of tone, you know? And I think because we're working with so many people in the band and then there's the management and then there's the label. And then it's just like suddenly getting signed is like what you thought was the absolute greatest, but it's just like the very beginning step of this whole potential like lifetime of your music with them. And for the label, that's just like a, I signed three bands this week. I'm hoping that one of them sticks. Do you know what I mean? So it's right. like, yeah, it's not what you thought, right. you know, um, even the people who out of the gate do so well, it's, I'm sure it's still not what they thought. It doesn't matter where you are. You're always like, learning if things aren't what you expected. Did you guys go on a pretty extensive tour? We did. Yeah. Well, and so I think that was another misconception. I think like we're going to get signed and then like suddenly we're touring with Thursday or something, you know? Right. And uh, anyway, so, but we did it. And then, yeah, we went out from the time we got signed after the album and then for the full like year and a half after that, just like gone the whole time on mostly pretty, pretty whack tours, you know, like right. you're playing, in a VFW hall for, you know, like 25 people or something. And like, that's fine. Um, but there was so much pressure at the time, I think, because it was just like, but you're on this label and you're doing this thing and it should be better. Like I play shows to small amounts of people like that all the time now. I mean, yeah. not so often, but I do. And I think like, this is cool that these people came, whatever, right. because it's a whole different mindset. Um, but yeah, but we did, we wound up doing, we did a couple like uh, very big shows and some big tours that were cool. And then some that were just like small and moderate or whatever. Um, I mean, most of the time, like it was pretty fun, but it was also just very exhausting, you know? And yeah. for me, like I was always much more interested in the, the making, the writing of the music and the recording of the music rather than the, the performing of it was cool. But, you know, like the, it is such a spectacle. It wasn't so much about the music. It's more like I need to get up there and like, I want to straighten my hair to look like these other dudes, but like, I'm so sweaty. So I'm going to sweat it all out and I'm going to look like a sweaty mess on stage. And like that, that took priority in my mind over like, is this going to be sweet or not? You know what I mean? And it's like, right. am I looking like a sweaty fool in this band? Right. Um, so do you feel like maybe the kind of the, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but do the, maybe the business side of it, maybe start to kill the creative side of it for you? Or? I think, I think it did, but I also think it wasn't even so much that it, it was my own, sort of expectation and like it was the business sure and i guess sort of the expectation i i and other people in the band were putting on ourselves of just like our appearance and being commercial and sort of stuff was like part of the business side too and that yeah i mean it was always it wasn't even about being creative at any point and i think it was just about like at its core it was about being creative but it was about being fun and just like having a good time and making music and then like hopefully getting to continue to do that for your job you know um but then when you get there and realize what that job entails at the beginning you just might be like this sucks and i could work forever doing this and never have a better time right. you know yeah what what caused you to 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 leave that i think i read you left the band in 2008 i did yep um i think i was just 
burned out and realized that I, you know, we had been doing it for like a year or so. We did the album and I think we had sold something like almost 800 copies of the album the first week, which in my mind, I think like, that's great. Yeah. And everybody was just like, the record is really disappointed or the label is really disappointed with your numbers, you know, like, so you don't get this tour or you don't get whatever. And so you're still like, all right, I'm just grinding it out there. But at the same time, like, I really hated touring. You know, I'm like a, a, a homebody. I like to be at home. I, I hate to be gone for so long. And uh, like, I'm not down to sleep in a van all the time which is fine. Like I, I did, I had those experiences and I'll never, I'll never regret them. But a year and a half of doing that made me realize that like, I think that like, this is enough for me with this. So after that happened, you enrolled at, maybe you moved back to Cleveland and you enrolled at an Ohio State University. And yeah, I, I started actually, I came back to Cleveland and I went to community college here for like six months. And then I went to school in Chicago at DePaul for a year. And then I went to Ohio State. And I saw that at Ohio State, you studied printmaking. I did, yeah. Why did you decide to study printmaking? I was just curious and maybe not music or... Sure. Um, I think I was just never felt like a skilled enough musician to study music. Um, I would say it's now. I don't feel like a skilled enough musician. I can't read music. You know, like I said, I've been playing forever. I've been playing the guitar for like 18 years. I still can't play you a song. <laughs> I mean, I can play you a song that I'm working on, but not somebody else's. Um, and I think that's fine. Like I would have done it. I was very into design. Um, I had been doing graphic design all through high school and with the bands and everything. Um, and so I, I went to Ohio State um, partially because my now wife was there. I mean, mostly because of that. And right. uh, they had a very good design program. So I want to go, I want to get in this design program. It's going to be great. So my new goal after music was like, all right, sweet. So music's done. That was awesome. Now I want to be like, I want to run a creative studio. So that's my goal. Um, and then I went and I didn't get into the design program. Um, so I was like, all right, well, that's cool. I guess I'll just do this art thing. Like that's, I want to do that anyway. So I was always interested in like screen printing and making prints because I was coming from a, a digital platform. So going into that way, I thought was good. And so I, I wound up in printmaking. Ironically, I wound up in printmaking because my advisor was like, I know you're in this design end or whatever um, and you didn't get into the program. Do you know this guy, Shepard Ferry? And I was like, I don't know Shepard Ferry. Who is this? And she was like, he's the Obey guy. Like, you know, he does a lot of design stuff, but it's all about screen printing. And I was just like, oh, well, that's awesome. And so that's why it's like very serendipitous that like that was that sort of led me into that path. And then I wound up doing the show at the gallery and everything. I was going to say you've worked with uh, Subliminal and, and yeah. his group. Yeah, I think I told him that when I met him, I was just like, Funny enough that you're like one of the reasons why I'm even doing this, which like what I do now is not at all printmaking, but it, it you know, every, my path led me to exactly where I am. And it was a lot of it was because of that. How did you become interested in collecting vinyl? And did you always collect vinyl with the intention of creating with it? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, for a brief period, no. And then after, yes, uh, before I was even making anything. So it was like, when I was in the band, um, I started to sort of, like I still loved the music we were making, the like emo screamo kind of stuff, but I started getting more into sort of indie bands and some electronic bands and stuff. And, and all those bands that I thought were like really cool, they all were putting out vinyl, you know? Right. Um, so like, I remember getting like the Caribou record or something at a record store in, uh, in Denver. And just cause I would shop a lot while we were on tour at these record stores. So I was just like, Oh, getting into all these records. Um, and that sort of got my interest happening in vinyl. 
and from there in the shopping, I just started collecting like a lot of stuff that I thought was cool. Um, and, and then after I left the band and I was still shopping for records and then I was mostly buying stuff thinking like, well, I think it'd be cool to start sampling some of these records. Um, and when I had started like way before that concept, I was thinking, well, I was really, I was always been really into hip hop since I was younger. And then when I was older, I got into like some of the more indie producers and I was thinking like, well, somebody who likes all this cool modern indie music would be a great hip hop producer because like they could get the samples of all this stuff. And so that made me think like, well, I could do that. Um, I didn't wind up doing it that way, but that's what sort of got me thinking like, all right, well, I'm going to buy just a bunch of records and then I'm going to sample them. So I was buying records for like six months before I even bought a sample, I think. How did you learn how to sample? Because that seems like a pretty involved <laughs> process. Um, well, I think actually sampling, it, it could be, I think, but for me, it, especially with the tools I was using, what was like the epitome of me saying that I didn't have musical skill necessarily. I just had the enthusiasm for it. And so I was thinking like, I just had this, I had this machine, this Roland SP303 is like the sampler I started with. And it's very simple and intuitive. And if you are able to just like have a vibe to make some music, you can get it going. And so basically that's what happened to me. I just got there and like, I found the way that it worked to sample this stuff and to get drums and like the tactile nature of getting it going made me feel like this is something I can, I can just do without even thinking too much. And that I think is like the best way to be making music. Like you don't want to overthink it. Um, you want to be able just to like touch it and, and, you know, make some sounds. When did you feel like you were kind of good enough that you could start sharing the music? Um, well, I think like, I wouldn't, it wasn't so much how I thought about it, but I was ready to share it as soon as I felt like I was making something that I, like I was, I really liked that I was thinking like, well, maybe some other people might like this. And I think I did that initially in sharing it in sort of a way, like I wasn't attempting to be mysterious, but I didn't like say anything about myself. I just had like Monster Alley and here's the, the thing. And I like sent out a couple of emails to people to be like, here's some music. Um, and like some of the first things that came up being like, this mystery person is making whatever. And I'm just like, I just wanted to be like, uh, like I wanted low pressure, you know? Right. <laughs> uh, and like, I didn't even tell my, my wife or my sister or anything until like, uh, like a month or so later I had, there was, there was like featured on Gorilla vs. Fair and I just like sent it to my sister and I was like, so this is me. Like I made this music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And so like from there, yeah, like I don't know, like good enough or not, I don't really know. But like when I when I'm into when I'm when I'm making it and I'm listening to it, I'm thinking like this is cool, and I think other like other people hopefully are sort of on the same mindset as me and would would appreciate something like this. So it seems like it was pretty pretty quick. It was pretty quick. I think I I so I left my old band in 2008, like January. I wasn't making any music, but I was buying records, and then. It actually, I think, was the end of 2009 that I bought my sampler. So it was kind of a while. Um, and so, but then from that point, like I, I, a couple months later is when I started releasing the music. Like the very beginning of 2010, I was making in 2009 and I think it was like January 2010 is like the, the first stuff I put up. Do you really remember kind of the first moment that you discovered like your first Exotica record? You remember that uh, moment? I do, I do. Um, I was at a thrift store in Cleveland, and I, because it's the first one I bought. This is why I remember it so well. And I was just looking through some records at I think it was just a thrift store, and I bought Quiet Village by Martin Denny, 
and uh, and like I had bought some tropical stuff before, but like mostly like Hawaiian sort of things, not not really like exotic, true exotica. And so I got that one, and I had this old. It was like like one of those Crosley record players, but like an old older version of that from my grandma's house. And I would listen to it. The speakers were terrible, and uh, yeah, I just like came home and put on that record. And sometimes you put it on like a record that you got through a certain, you're just like, yeah, whatever, like right away. And I put on that record and like 40 minutes later, I was just like, I think maybe let's just do that again. <laughs> and then just like back again. Um, and then from there, anytime, like I still didn't know what I was looking for. You know what I mean? I didn't even know what Exotica was or who these people were. And I don't even think I really looked it up. I just, every time I'd go back to the thrift store, to those record stores, I'd always look for like these sort of, you know, they're like, uh, like cheeky or something is i don't even know what the what the what the word is but they're like sort of kitschy cover art you know what i mean and you just think like all right that's gonna be a, a good one the album cover itself is kind of what was drawing you into it it was all about that yeah like i was buying all, all that uh just like all that sort of tropical sort of worldy looking stuff um and the exotica records in particular are are the best version of that because they're like on a sound stage <laughs> you know what i mean so right. they're not even like this is what's sort of silly about it all is that it's like so fabricated for what you think would be like that which is why i like it because it's like it's not even about a real time or place or anything it's just about like this is what is would be like in an exotic jungle or something um yeah so i was just buying every every one of those i saw yeah it's kind of like the hollywood version of a place like the... exactly yeah that's the thing is like it's not there and even the the music that i'm making out people are always like well what is it what places inspire you or all this i'm just like I'm just like inspired by imaginary far off places that are probably not even real and have influences that don't ever connect in real life. But I just like, I want to know what that sounds like. And when you hear it, especially with this exotica stuff, you feel it, you feel like you're there and like, this is this place, but it's actually not anywhere. Yeah. It's like an idea of a place, right? A fantasy idea of a place. Exactly. So it kind of leads me to my next question, which was what is it, about exotica about tropicalia um i think you've produced and forgive me if i get this wrong but you've produced seven full-length albums now i think um that sounds right i'm not sure yeah. but i think that's right yeah um it's what is it um that can about that music that continues to stimulate your imagination so much you keep coming back to that well and being able to to create out of that what do you think that is um, I think because there's always, especially with the way I'm making the records, that it's really just about like discovery. So it's like you're going through at a record store or thrift store and finding these old forgotten things and you never know what you're going to find. And something there, like there's, there's always room in that imaginary world for a new place and a new, a new like theme and a new feeling. And so what I like about it is that even though sometimes it could seem, I guess, like it might be a bit of a rigid place, it's actually just anything you want it to be because it's like you said, it's it's exotica, but it's really just about like fantasy. So like as limited as your own mind is at creating images when you hear the cinematic music, like that's the limit of the music. How did Monster Rally begin to take shape? And um, I guess like how has it evolved since then? Um, I think it began to take shape a, because it, it's interesting to talk about the whole like previous music experience because feeling burned out from working with other people, um, feeling like I was sort of duped into thinking about what being a professional music, musician was. So like I came to that place uh, and when I was there, I thought, all right, well, I want to make music, but I don't want to... Uh, 
I don't want to base my life on it. You know, I don't want it to, to have the bearing of my full life and career. And so it has to be something that I just want to do. So from there, I think that really freed up a lot of stuff. And the way I wanted to do it was uh, to just like, I don't know, I, I was all into the sampler and all into the records and stuff. And I knew right then like, all right, so let's just try this. And I think in the beginning, I was really trying to make this like sort of, I always say like tropical Mad Lib. I loved Mad Lib. Um, but like the first two EPs I did, I have like no drums. <laughs> like I just forgot to do the drums. But I think I was just like into the, into the vibe of the stuff. And so I knew basically right after I started sampling some of these records that like, all right, so this, this is what I've been waiting to do. You know, this was the project that's like making me feel great. And uh, like, I was so excited to make music. Like I, I was skipping so many of my classes just to, to stay home and just make music and go to the thrift store and get records and come back and like, couldn't wait to see what they sounded like. Um, and that was like in the very beginning. So like from there, I just knew like, all right, this is, this is what I have to do. So you kind of felt like you discovered your, your vision, maybe your own, um, I'm always, I don't want to, I want to be cautious. I don't want to, but, but you kind of found your own voice or your own, um, and it seems like you, with Monster Rally, like you, you had your, you could kind of sort of remain. Well, what I'm hearing is like when you were in the band, there was constant pressure. It was like, okay, you guys, like you missed that downbeat. Constant pressure. You have right. to like From do this. Like you, you, guys, you not, messed up at the show. Yeah, your it's, hair is not right. It's too wet. Right. Like, you yeah. know, and then now right. you have this place and it's sort of, and again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I'm getting is like, you have this like kind of sacred space. Like this is you, right. you're in control. Very much so. It's my world. <laughs> I get to and do I it. Still, I still feel that way. Like for me, I think like this is Australia and this is an important thing. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about how I looked. You know what I mean? It wasn't about like selling my image. It was about the music in this place. And so for me, I still think about it that way. Like Monster Alley, you know, quote unquote or whatever is like for me, for the person who's actually doing it, is like a location in my mind that I can go to, you know, and I, and I was, when I was doing it, I was just like, you know, I have, was feeling like having like high anxiety and sort of stuff But in doing the music. I was just like feeling great, you know, like I'm escaping into this with the sounds that I'm discovering. And uh, just like, it's a, it's a sacred place to me. Like you said it, but I would have said the same thing, um, you know, that I still go to now when I'm, when I'm working, you know, and I found it at that time. So I think that, that when I started doing it, it was, clear to me I didn't think like I would be doing it I never thought I'd be doing it this long but when I started then I was just like there's something to this and like I can't wait to be there every time how did you come up with the name Monster Rally where did that name yeah, come from it's sure. such a great name <laughs> it's instant <laughs> it is a good name and like I think about it so much as being associated with what I'm doing but it's actually like such an aggressive sounding name <laughs> yeah um it, so there is a book like around the same time like 2008 period when I was like, buying all these records my mom had moved some stuff out of her old childhood home. And one of these things that I, saw, I found was a book called Monster Alley by uh, Chaz Adams, who's the guy, the creator of the Adams family. Yes. And so it's like a little book of one panel cartoons. And the front of the cover of the book, uh, I never had the dust jacket, so I don't know what that looks like, but the front cover is like an embossed flag that says Monster Alley. And so I was just like, that'll be the name of the band. So I had the name of the band way before I was making any of the music. But then coincidentally, now I have to be like, it's Monster Rally. And people are like, what? I'm like, it's like Monster Truck Rally without the truck. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, I always think of, because you have in your art, in the art side of it, you have animals. There's a lot of yeah. like 
jungle birds and these right. creatures and and it kind of i mean all these things have meaning in it you know um, right uh, it's very clever but uh yeah it's like a rally of, of monsters yeah exactly um, yeah or like like an exotic beast or something like in the like the, in the old literature that would have described this stuff it would be like in these exotic monsters in the jungle you know exactly yeah <laughs> uh i read in an article in uh I I found this great article that had been I think it was called RVA or something like that. It was a blog, and this young lady wrote a really nice interview with you. And she talked about in that article, um, it was right when you had released your LP Coral, your first album, first full length, and um, kind of at that time you mentioned that an aspiration at that time in the in the interview you said like oh man i'm hoping that like an mc will like really reach out to me and and because right. i'd really like to have somebody rap over it and then there's i read another article i think in forbes in 2019 when you had released adventures on the floating island um you had said in that article you i know that you had recorded with one mc jay stone right uh for i think cognac um but your attitude seemed you were like uh kind of like very cautious about that actually you're like um, I have the right. quote, I could dig it up in my notes, but it, you don't want it to change. You have to be very careful not to change the the instrumental vibe of the music, I think is what you said. And I'm just yeah. curious, like <clears throat> how your uh, thinking about this had evolved, why it had evolved sort of in that way yeah. um, over time. I think, uh, you know, initially it's funny though. I remember sort of um, back like when Coral came out, it was a lot like, because I, for for that whole period, I was thinking like, all right, I'm making I'm making this hip hop, this instrumental hip hop, and like, so I need the other half of that, you know, like I need some MCs on there. Um, and then I think, as time grew on, it didn't take that long, but like a couple of years or something, it sort of the music I was making became its own thing, um, and I realized a little bit more. Like I think I was feeling insecure sort of back ten years ago about that because I was thinking more like is this is this instrumental music valid enough without right. a voice you know mm-hmm. um and so i think my confidence gained a bit over the years of thinking like yeah this is fine and like discovering other people who were doing it that i thought were good and people sort of feedback on my stuff um and then i think some other things that happened where i did get sort of reached out to by a lot of people um but then i was just thinking like i just didn't think anything was really ever a good fit so I think I was maybe more cautious about saying like, I wish that we could reach out because I don't want to say like, I don't want to seem like a jerk if you're coming to me to be like, I don't think this works, you know? Um, and I mean like, yeah, the Jay stuff was like, he's great. And I felt like that worked so well. And him and I just like got along really well and it worked out. Um, and I mean, I'd love to do more stuff with him. And I think more about doing it now. I'm actually, I sort of come full circle on that. Like I still feel very much like I did last year when I talked to them uh, the, with the Forbes people, but I, um, now I'm thinking more like I, I like the idea of producing more for other people in sort of a, a collaborative sense. You know what I mean? And I think it doesn't even have to be for so long. It's for me that only meant MCs, you know, in a hip hop capacity. But I think now I, I don't even think it has to be that way. Like any kind of vocalist, singers, kind of things like that, I think is good. You know, like if if the, the instrumentals I'm making are speaking to people who are using their voices as instruments, you know, like I think that a lot of that could be good. Um, and I did last year on the the sing the menagerie single I put out the B side of that was a, a vocal track um, with a, a girl who named Mira Cook who's also Mira on, yeah. on Build Robo. Yeah, and I thought like that one was great. Like yeah. that that sort of really turned it around for me, thinking like, oh well, actually like this is this works well, you know? Um, yeah. 
So I actually, I, I expect to do more of that in the future. I was going to ask you what, how your relationship with gold, you brought up gold robot right now, how your relationship yeah. with gold robot um, is maybe different from the first record label you signed yeah. with. Um, sure. Uh, I mean, just about in every way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I was suspicious of that, but yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think what it more so came to be with that is like, uh, like Gold Robot, it's the same thing as basically me. It's one dude, his name's Hunter. He's a guy who I met 10 years ago when I was doing Coral. And we were just sort of like on the level, like, I love your music. I know you want to make some vinyl. I do too. Like, let's let's make this record together. And so we started there and then, from then we just sort of started, you know, doing more and working together, uh, you know, to just like help move things along. Um, so it was just like very, very natural and uh, everybody like feels good. Nobody's getting, getting feels like slighted, you know, like at the, the old back in the day relationship with the label I had was like, I don't think I ever spoke to the owner of the label. And then like, if I tried to, he probably didn't even know who I was. Like he might only know our singer and our singer was just like, just like, trying to kiss that dude's butt nonstop, even though guys like right. a major douche and uh, right. <laughs> like uh, like i don't know this for sure but i've heard that the guy who owns victory has like a shark tank hallway you know what i mean oh, wow. like off of little emo bands it's just crazy um <laughs> hunter does not have a shark tank hallway <laughs> not yet <laughs> not yet he might like one i mean i'm, I'm with you i'd like it too uh but no so i mean like that was just more about like being in control and being equals and feeling good in a way that we were helping each other. So it, it couldn't be more different, you know? And you feel like you have like, sounds like maybe not such a high pressure situation or. Yeah, exactly. And I freedom. think it's funny to just, I mean, I think I have a hundred percent creative freedom. I know that um, I basically like have somebody who, who has got my back and who wants to help and they're, they're invested too. Um, you know, like, with anything that's gone on as long as, as this has and how it's sort of grown year after year, it always has that added pressure. So like now and for a long time in my mind, I still hold Monsterelli in a place where I'm not ever gonna rely on it for my, my like income, right? But also it's become so much of my life and I do rely on it for a lot of my income. And so now I'm just like, oh, well I'm here and like everything I do creatively for me like sort of stems from that special place and so it's nice working with them and with him because it's uh there's no reminder of that pressure. Do you know what right. I mean? Everybody's just like, it's fine. We know you're doing that to yourself. Exactly. Right. It's just me. And I think like, I'm actually like pretty good at letting go of that. You know, I think like, that's fine. I don't, I don't take anything too seriously. And I often like make a lot of music and think like, oh, I'll come back to finish that. And then I just like, don't finish it and think like, this is actually perfect. Put it on the album. And then that's it. <laughs> um, and I think like, that's good. Like, not overthinking things and just going with like the, the like original concept of something and the, the way it made you feel is like often always the best. You just said something very interesting. You just said that Monster Rally in a way is kind of like the core of all of your creative expression. Am I getting that right. correct? So kind yeah. of just the discovery of, and you talk about it, I think it's so wonderful. You talk about it as a place you can go to. Right. Um, that's so interesting. So you really feel like that's that place is kind of like what birthed all of your creative expression, whether it's professional or or right. design or all the different things that you're working on. It it all comes from that kind of monster that place you found with Monster Rally. Right. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I would even say like I would call that Monster Rally for me anyway. But I think whether this is like that's just the the overall creative space of my brain. 
you know so like it's devoted 90 percent to monster alley whether that's music or artwork or whatever and even like the other ideas that i have out of there like most of my creative leanings are could be connected to that sort of stuff do you know what i mean like whether i'm make, making artwork or music or even like a product for my company or something like i like i i just have these things that are coming from this one place and so i think uh i don't know like I, I try to embrace that as much as I can, which is why I feel like I don't put the, want to put the pressure on it because I never feel I'm starting to feel like if this Monster Alley single or something doesn't take off or like if I can't get this person on my song or if I don't blah, 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 I don't want to like hinder my ability to, to do other things. Whether I think I would or not, it's hard to say, but I think uh, at least in my mind, that's where I think like I'm just trying to keep it as pressure free as possible. In both your visual, in both your music and your visual art, you're kind of in a sense working with found objects. Uh, yep. Is there something about the search or the hunt uh, itself that informs your creative process? Yeah, I mean, I think 100%. Like the whole like collage, whether it's music or artwork, you know, is uh, it's all about discovery for me. You know, I, I'm, I know, and this is an interesting thing for me, that's something I like to think about that like, all everything that I need for my next album or something is just like out there yet to be found by me. So like, that's an exciting thing, you know, to go and you just, you see what you see, see what you find. And like, because you chose this one and not that one, you're playing that sample and that winds up on the record that you wind up sharing with people. And it's a whole, you know, it's recycling this old stuff, but also it's like a matter of finding something and a matter of chance that you chose that thing, you know? Um, so I think, yeah, like that, that informs the whole thing. If I was just sitting here, it would have to be a whole different thing. I mean, if I, if I was just like in a room to make some music, I, I would like be back with my guitar and four track. You know what I mean? Because like, I couldn't get the stuff I need to try to make the monster Alley thing. Like I might make something that sounds like even similar. I don't really know, but it would be through a whole different set of um, steps, you know? Right. Do you, so do you like the adventure too of that search, like going out? Um, so it's kind yeah. of oh, like, I love it that sense of yeah. exploration adventure right. i kind of think of you sometimes as like a i've always explained to you to people sometimes is like he's like a treasure hunter and also a treasure maker like he <laughs> finds the treasure and then makes new treasure out of it um right and it's interesting to me because that sense of adventure is in your music i feel like well exotica kind of takes you on an adventure like right um but where yeah. do you where do you go to find your materials, both for your visual art and your yeah, records? Yeah, all over, and, and that's actually like exactly how you described it. It's like I'm out there searching. Yeah, like my you know like new frontiers of a jungle or something, where another person is doing it is like the thrift store or the a library book sale. You know, like, and I think that what's helpful is that I'm getting looking for things and choosing things that no one else cares about. You know, like for the most part, no one else cares about. So like, if you're in the record store and I always like, it's sad now because I think they're gone, but Amoeba Records in, in Hollywood was like huge place for me out in LA. Um, and I used to like, shoot that, go all over like these record stores and stuff, but for the most part, these record stores are so expensive. So you have to go to a place like Amoeba where they have so many sections and in each section they have the dollar section. So like I would go in and just like, world music section dollar just like flip through get whatever looks interesting or like jazz easy listening section or 
just even like the cheese rock section or something just like walk in 80 bucks 80 records you know what i mean leave something like that um i like i've never i don't usually spend anything like over a dollar except for like a handful of things i've gotten but sort of the same way now that i'm back in cleveland um it's a lot of a lot of thrift stores um there's a handful of good record stores here but they're just small you know so they're not quite like that and uh and it's sometimes actually uh like in LA I was doing this a lot but I used to like to go to Palm Springs to go to a lot of their thrift stores because they just had like great stuff you know because a lot of those older people had these collections and then now they find their way into the thrift stores and then find their way to me and then I mess with them and then they find their way to you right (laughs) And I would think just Palm Springs in particular, if you're thinking oh, yeah, about yeah. exotic of music, you know, you put on like a Les Baxter record, like I immediately right. am at a pool in Palm Springs with a mojito right. in my hand, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I'm I actually, sure those collections when I lived were there, rich. Yeah, they were. And I, I mean, I think I probably bought a lot of them from people at these stores. And when, when I still lived in LA, I used to go every time I'd be making a record, I would go, my wife and I'd go out to Palm Springs and I would record kind of a lot of it out there. Oh, wow. You would record in Palm Springs itself. Yeah, just like take my whole setup and just go set up in an Airbnb for for like a week and just record music. Get you into the right yeah, totally, architectural exactly. space or the, yeah. you know, that's amazing. I heard you, I read in an article that you went, you've gone all the way to Florida and you like were looking in a retirement, there was like retirement right. communities. I was that's, that's the other one I was going to say. So now that I've been back here, what's actually easier for me is to go, like we'll go down to Florida or something. And I'll just like hit up this whole section of Florida for all these, yeah, like all these like very sleepy retirement communities, thrift stores there. And like, uh, like some of these places actually have like resale shops from the residents, you know, like I yeah. bought some stuff there. <laughs> wow. Um, they have yeah, actual resale. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like some of that, some of that stuff is the best, honestly. Um, and then there's just like a handful of record stores down there, but I don't know like what even community they're serving so much, but I, I like the last time I was there, I went and I found this one that had like such a good like section of all this stuff. And I went and I pulled like a hundred records for the guy and the guy was like, I haven't priced any of these. So like, you're going to have to come back. And so I, I remember two days later, I came back on the way to the airport and was just like, so or like, where, where are we at? You know what I mean? And I wound up spending like way too much money on records because I didn't want to have to have wasted this dude's time. Um, but also like, it was fine. So like I got them and then I went to the UPS store and just like sent them home. And then that most of what I bought there is the, the adventures album. So like, that's like the whole, the whole thing. So yeah, it's cool. Like, I don't know. Like I love that kind of stuff for me. There's three big parts about the making of the music and it's just like search the search and discovery, the actual creation of the music and then the creation of the artwork, you know, and like all, all three of those, can't exist without the other you know right and i wanted to talk about the creation of the music next do you find it especially meaningful or dynamic to work with like you're working with physical objects um like you're getting records or you're 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 doing handmade collage is there something particularly meaningful or especially meaningful because we're in such a digital age where you can just pull things off um is it do you find it especially meaningful to work with those things in in this digital age yeah, I think so. And I think that's like what's comforting for me about it. You know, like when I started making this stuff, like I was saying, I was like having high anxiety and sort of stuff like that. Like I could go to Monstrelli's own, you know, make some Monstrelli music or whatever. And like, I didn't need, I needed some power to plug in my sampler and record player, but I don't need a computer. Like I don't need my phone. Um, 
and even now when I do it, when I'm making music or something, I'll like, I'll turn my phone off. I won't even take it. Like, I don't want to be reminded that like Instagram exists. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I just, yeah. I, like, I want to be away. And I think that's a big thing for me. And that's why I like the sampler I use because it's very much like very tactile. Like I, I'm not, I don't program it to loop these things when you hear them in the songs. Like I'm triggering everything because that's just the only way I know how to do it. Uh, like I record all my albums in GarageBand because I, I'm just like keeping it as streamlined as possible. So just like an interface to record, I'm working on my sampler, like light edits and then export, that's it. I could be, you know, and, I, and especially what the vinyl, like you're talking about the physical, like that's a huge thing for me because it's just like feeling that and putting it on there and seeing the grooves and thinking like, all right, well, let's just like jump to the beginning of this song because that might have something cool or whatever. The, and the limitations in that are what drive the whole sound, you know? Um, the problem I, I find for myself, although some people thrive on this, uh, is that with digital stuff, there are a thousand options. You know, I mean, not a thousand, there's literally endless options. So like, how, how am I supposed to decide? I'm gonna get my paradox of choice or whatever is gonna just crush me before I do anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so I don't like, I've tried a few times to, to start to produce a little bit in, in digitally and use like Ableton or something. Um, and every time I'm always just like setting up these like kits for your drums or something is just so confusing when I could just like be banging it out on the sampler. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I think, and I definitely, there's downsides to that, but for me, I just, uh, if I'm not like fully ingrained in that process or if I'm on my computer and like tweak my reverb or something, I'm just going to be like, I check my email real quick. And then I'm just like, suddenly I'm working, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and then it's, you're not, you're not in the same space. And also I think limitation can actually fuel creativity it's huge like i think some people thrive on, on endless options but for the most part people thrive on a handful of pieces uh, of sources and materials you know at least for me especially like with the music and with our work and stuff um, it's just about minimal tools a handful of stuff you've you've found and chosen and then you know whatever you want to do with that also, I think with this kind of analog, more analog way, it adds a, a sense of texture that you just can't get from from a digital source. Yeah, but. I agree. And I think a lot of the too, with the samples, at least, are the more beat up records. You know, like I bought, they're a dollar. Like I said, they're kind of crummy. There's like a little bit of scratches. The sound quality is not great necessarily. But, but all of those little elements are like the seasoning on your stuff. You know what I mean? Right. If you're going to go and sample some like super clean something directly from spotify or whatever you're gonna then try to mess it up in your uh digital workstation or whatever and then like so yeah you get there but then you wind up with the manufactured sound so like and some of that's good and like you might not even care but you don't you don't even need to do that if you're going in the other way like i remember uh i said this to somebody else the other day but about how I don't ever really read anything on like comments, you know, on YouTube or something, but I found myself on one of my YouTube videos and somebody was just like, like most of them were good. Some of them were bad, but somebody was just like, I cannot stand this vinyl effect on every single song. And I was just like, all right, man, like there's no vinyl effect. Uh, right. <laughs> and then like, if you don't like that, like you're, I'm sorry, you're done. You're not going to like my music, you know? Yeah. yeah. If you don't like <laughs> that texture, then you don't, right. you don't get it. Right. Uh, and that's fine. Some people don't. There's plenty of music I don't like. Yeah. I'd say there's probably more music I don't like than music that I do. <laughs> yeah, I like that, a lot that of music. has to be true. I would say I like so much stuff, but I still probably don't like most of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, each one of your albums 
has its own distinct musical and visual identity and like all the parts fit together and kind of tell a story. Um, how do you achieve this? Like I call it like aesthetic, but I think also narrative kind of cohesion. Um, I think, you know, when I was first making the records, I wasn't thinking like so much about this. It was always like the way that has helped me sort of most of my albums have been made in a particular place. So like, no, I don't think any two albums have been made in the same physical space uh, for a long time. I was sort of moving around a lot. Like the, the albums I'm recording or what I'm making now will be the first time I've made, I made adventures and I'll make this next one where I am now. But so it was always just about like being in a place, making whatever music I was making at that time and then keep putting it together. I see. for the first few albums um and then after that i started to to come into them a little bit more sort of conceptually because they were kind of existing in a place for me and so most of them most of the newer ones anyway all have like a pretty pretty defined like uh narrative and story arc in my mind uh that wound up sort of dictating the the sequencing and the track lists and all that and then winds up sort of informing the artwork too um most people don't know about any of them, obviously, because I'm just, they're mostly just for me. But, and I don't want to, I don't want to dictate too much to people. Like I want you to, to see and, and feel it for yourself. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Just sort of like, I'm inspired a lot about by the records I'm finding. So like, um, for example, like the Mystery Cove record was uh, the whole narrative there is just like, there's a couple and they're on their honeymoon and it winds up just being this like Scooby-Doo style exotica mystery and um, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. And yeah. so whatever, it winds up taking that whole, that whole thing. And so the cover art is just sort of like supposed to be like this old movie poster where that has like the grayed out background and like the faces of the people and then just whatever, you know? Right. I think I read that you said that it was like a, like a movie of the week was kind of exactly the, yeah tv know. movie because some of the stuff that i i was sampling it was like a handful of soundtracks from these old tv movies it was like adventures in paradise or something that's that's where the, where the one came from and i read um, you said something interesting too where you said like it's funny because these records have like you have this like cheesy like ultimate exotic vacation kind of vibe right. to it but then you also have like ritual of the savage and like <laughs> yeah. voodoo kind of right. and mystery cove was sort of a combination of those two like energies. yeah it's exactly that yeah just like it's so, so idyllic and beautiful but also like the people might be scary you know what I mean? <laughs> but like like okay but not, there's like never like any real high stakes it's just like i don't know it's just yeah. I don't know, it's funny <laughs> yeah. um you um so we're we're kind of in an era now because of the digital age again. Um, that's more single oriented, you know, like single yeah, track big, artists big really just care about a single track. You right. seem to be more interested in creating an entire album. And yeah. um, I feel like I'll listen to one of your records and I like, I, which I do all the time, but I'll put it on and then I can't believe it's over. Right. Um, and, oh, and is that something that you're consciously interested in? Like you're really interested in assembling an entire album? Yeah. Is that something I you... actually, it's much harder for me to think about a single, you know, because especially because, I mean, if you know the music, the nature of it is not so much about the individual. It's about like every single, every song in a single track is just like a, a little bit of like a vibe or like a cinematic moment in the whole story arc. You know what I mean? Of the record itself, or even in just, if you're not even going to go to like the conceptual level in just like, this 40 minutes of music, you know what I mean? Right. Um, right. So it's harder for me, much harder for me to, to make songs that stand alone. 
Um, and it's tough because for the most part, that's what you get. You know what I mean? And, and even the records that come out for people, it's generally like a, a assembly of their past year's singles with a bit of filler, you know? Right. Um, so I don't know. I've always been interested in the full album mostly because of just the vinyl interests of not only the sampling, but of creating back to this, to the vinyl. Um, and for me, basically every time I make the records, I make two, I make an A side or a B side. And so it's always just like intermission, you know what I mean? And then right. whatever on the other side. So it's, it's a much harder for me to think about it in a, in a shorter context. But on the other hand, I think <clears throat> it's harder for me to think like, Hey, listen, just like, give me a chance. Listen to my music. Give me like 40 minutes. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Like you're lucky to get 40 seconds from somebody. You know what right. I mean? So it's like, uh, I think that's actually like a bit of a hindrance to me in my, you know, my career, I guess, if you want to say with music, but also I'm, I'm interested in creating these pieces of music and I have made smaller ones, you know, like uh, the flight to the jungle or something. Basically it was an EP, but it was two tracks or something like for me, it's doesn't, it's about as, that's about as short as I can go and feel like something is complete, you know? Right. Well, it, your music does have like a, and even though we as listeners may not be aware of it, there is a sense of a story. Um, right. And I was going to ask you if you had ever been interested in maybe composing music for a film or for a <laughs> yeah, TV show. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I've thought actually a lot about that. that. Um, you know, no plans as of yet. The problem is that I haven't, it's tough. Like that's something I would absolutely love to do, but unless somebody comes to me to do it, I would have to produce then myself. And so like, I don't think I, <clears throat> while I'd love to do that, I just don't trust myself to actually get it done. You know what I mean? Um, I, I would love to produce, I would love to back when mystery cove came out, I was thinking like my, my brother-in-law is uh, uh, like a director filmmaker writer and i was thinking like oh well like let's just make the movie you know yeah. like it, it can be cheap whatever let's just make the mystery cove movie right um but ultimately i mean like that fell through because it's just the undertaking is huge yeah. um but yeah i'd love to do it if anybody hears it and you're looking to produce a film or something let me know <laughs> i'd love to do it because i think some of the best soundtracks are are some of the best yeah, albums are soundtracks by by one artist you've said i've read in in several interviews or a couple of interviews you've said that mad lib and brian wilson um right kind of more than anybody else have changed the way that you think about music and yeah i'm curious how did they change the way you thought about music um and i think it's like for them more so as like if i was looking at my musical development you know or even just my, as my life in a in a linear way there would be all these bumps or whatever but like a couple of them would be like the discovery of brian wilson and then like the discovery of mad lib because right. for me like i came from uh like i was really in when i was younger i was like the first music i was into were like like radio hip hop and then just like punk music and then like emo screamo and then I was getting to some indie music or whatever and then I I had listened to bands inspired by the Beach Boys but never really listened to it themselves right so I was listening to like of Montreal or something you know what I mean with the vocal harmonies and then I was just like oh someone's like hey you should listen to this Pet Sounds album you know yeah. and I was like oh whatever like I know that my mom likes the Beach Boys or whatever um, <laughs> and so like I but then I remember listening to it and then like for a period of time, I, I listened to Pet Sounds like at least once a day for like a year. You know what I mean? Like it just changed the game. And then I got like so interested in Brian Wilson and the production of it and the fact that like he made almost all of it himself. And like that was really inspiring to me. 
and just like I don't know the whole the way that those songs are and the instrumentals and uh, I don't know like there's something very special about his music that I, that made me look at the mu- music as a whole differently you know so fast forward like a couple years later discovering Madlib was the same thing you know what I mean right. but it was just in a different sense you know it was like uh, all right so I thought like hip-hop production or something was one way uh, and then I realized listening to this just like a it's an art in itself you don't need an MC and B, like, you can just do anything. You know what I mean? Like, the, those Mad Lib instrumentals, like, the records are just like, oh, like, that dude will sample anything. And he's in it, but still it sounds like him. And it's just like, there, he does not caring about, like, his mixing or something. It's just, like, creating a vibe with your music. And then, boom. And that was the same way to, like, change my whole mindset musically. You said there's three steps. There's the discovery of the music, the search and the discovery for the music. There's the creation of the music. And then the final part you said is the visual, um, right. kind of the visual creation, the, the creation of the visuals for it, the album cover and everything. When does that start? When does that final, um, do you, are you kind of working on that noodling around with that while you're recording or does that come at the A end? Bit. Or? Like I'll, I'll usually like maybe collect some some source material or something for the for the artwork or I'll like yeah like go digging for some books or or have an idea in my mind about it but I don't usually make the the artwork until after the album is done and I'll usually make it while like listening to the album and putting it all together uh and then like listening to the masters or something so it almost happens it almost always happens totally after and um, where where do you find these one cuz you there's so much color in what you're doing and <laughs> Is there like, and they, the images do often seem to come from a similar place or the same source maybe. Right. Um, is there... well, some, some do and some don't actually. Like a lot of the stuff, um, If I don't even know if anybody would notice this, but for the past like year or so, I've gotten very into, it's funny because I never used to, to get this. I was always about like photographic imagery, but I've started to get very into using <clears throat> cutout images of illustrations of like photorealistic illustrations so I use a lot, like the Castaways album is a good example of this, where everything on that is, it's collage and it's cut out, but it's a, it's a, like a photorealistic illustration from an old book. So like, it's all from different sources, but because of that, when it's together, it looks almost like I was just, I just drew it. Do you know what I mean? That's kind right. of what I'm trying to get. Um, yeah. So I think the stuff is really from all types of different sources. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. Back when I was first starting, I think I was like a lot of other people and just like all about like national geographic or like uh, like life magazine or something. But what happened to me is that I started to feel like I started seeing the same cutouts in a lot of people's artwork and right. thinking like, that's cool. But I, I just want to try to stand out a little bit. So that drove me to finding just like weirder stuff, you know, and like that's where a lot of the plant stuff came from is I was always really interested in that, but I just wanted to make my own, world you know what i mean um so i just like dove dove hard into the like flora and fauna and the visually speaking do you feel like you've entered more and more over the years into your own world i do yeah i think especially like i was recently looking back at some of my old stuff and and it's similar enough that it's looks a bit like my style and that it's collage but i think as you see the time go it's it's more like yeah that it's Maybe it's even become a little more rigid in style, but it's very much like this place, you know? Right. And it's, do you feel like it's becoming kind of more and more, I don't want to say defined, but like, 
I feel like, yeah, I, I look back at your, some of the album covers, like let's say Coral and it's great, but then you move right. forward. But I'd now. never make that now. That's the thing. Like I recently, like, uh, I, we're going to, we're going to repress, uh, beyond the sea and, uh, return to paradise on vinyl. And so like, I'm preparing that packaging and I'm almost sort of like, I kind of want to change this, you know, but like, obviously I'm not going to change it, but I think like, I, I would just wouldn't make those same decisions now. You know, I still love the work and I think it, it looks good for the thing. And for a lot of people who know my stuff, they only maybe even know some of these records, but it's not, it's just interesting to see how much your decision-making changes. And that's like in making artwork of any kinds, that's all it is. It's just like, what choices are you making? Each one of your records, when you press the vinyl, um, the vinyl itself, I noticed you did a beautiful, like I think a, almost like a translucent, like blue, um right. how important is that to you yeah for castaways uh, it's gorgeous. super important yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i mean the whole thing like i because i think i came from a design background you know like i'm just like a big packaging nerd like i love that kind of stuff and so like for me like the vinyl color and the splatter and the and the labels and the packaging and then the gatefold and the back and all that like for the vast majority of people who listen to my music i see like a little screen grab of uh of an album cover on their spotify for another group of them, maybe they see my artwork on my Instagram, but for a handful of them, because they're limited, they get the full album. And so like, it seems maybe funny the amount of uh, mind space I, I give to that, but that's like as important to me. Like I, I think so much about every little piece. Um, yeah. Like the Castaways artwork for me is like probably the, I mean, it's my most recent, so maybe that's why I feel that way, but it's my favorite one. I think like, all the pieces are just together. The concept is good. Like, I don't know. I love it. So would you say that that's kind of like the premium experience for like the monster rally experience <laughs> as a listener? Like if you really want like the, you know, uh, I think, yeah. Like if you, if you want to be, you know, tactile about it and feel the record and see all the stuff like, yeah, that's the experience. But I also think, you know, if you're going to just, if you just have your headphones on and you have any like one song that pops up and you're just in your world for a second, like, that's the experience. So it's whether or not how long that's lasting and if it's how many senses are being involved. You know what I mean? Um, it does. When I do listen to your music, I, I, I feel like I see it. I see the, it, it, I, I told you in my, when I read right. the letter, I said, when the first time I listened to it, I really felt like I was living in a loft and then suddenly like a garden, a tropical garden appeared around me and like, right. It's very environmental. Yeah. And which is, that's why I love it. And that it's the same for me when I'm making it, you know? And like, I think maybe that's the sort of sounds I'm drawn to when I'm making the records too. Is So it's like, uh, yeah, you just like get away for a minute. And that's why it's nice not to have with, with the absence of a human voice, you fill your own space. So when you have instrumental music, that just happens, you know, and everybody experiences it differently, which uh, is also what I like so much, you know, like I have these ideas when I listen to the music and I think about like, I have visions and I think whatever, but other people feel differently and they have different things, but they heard it in a different place and it was special to them or they, you know, because of where they were at, they, they imagined different things. And so I think, I don't know, I, I love the different experiences that not even just mine, but instrumental music in general evokes with people. What is your work and it, it can be the music or whatever, but what was the most unexpected place your, your work has taken you? Oh man. Um, I, <laughs> I'm not sure. I think that's, that's an interesting question. Um, I don't really know. I think a lot of the places seem not expected necessarily, but I think, you know, like 
whether it's locations to play shows or like affiliations with certain like brands or, or like other producers or something, I think it all, I, I don't know how much of it has been unexpected. I'm always like surprised when I hear about people like being fans of the music, like even people I meet or something are, are it just always surprises me because it, I do it, I make it myself and I rarely play shows and all this stuff. So it's just funny for me, like, if I didn't see the Spotify data or something, I would think like, is anybody listening? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think not maybe the most unexpected or anything, but the, the highlight of where this has taken me, I think over the past several years was my show in LA um, at the Subliminal Gallery. Like, like I said earlier that I was a fan of Shepard Ferry and uh, I had always, I wish that every show I did could be this like multimedia sort of experience right. because for me, when I'm playing in uh, like shows or something, I have a projector or something and I think that's cool, but no matter what, you're still in this like sort of bar or small club kind of environment, which is cool, but is not, you're just missing out on the whole thing, you know? Like I, I, I'm always joking that I want to go do a tour of botanical gardens, you know? Like there's a really beautiful one in Cleveland and I think like, let me just go do a show in this botanical garden. You know what I mean? Um, I wrote them about it actually, but they never got back to me. I think I understand maybe they're afraid people are gonna mess up the flowers. And actually a, a couple of years ago when I started working with uh, my booking agent, she was just like so on board with all that stuff. Like she was trying to get me these shows in like these big living garden rooms of museums and stuff. Um, and I, I mean, honestly, this year probably would have involved some of that stuff um, had it not been obviously how it is, which is too bad. But hopefully when things are better and we can be safer about it or, or whatever, we can start to do some stuff like that. Because for me, I love to play the music out. I love to meet the people, but I'd much rather have that those sort of sort of sensory experiences, um, you know, involved with the music. So I know that's not exactly the answer to your question, but I'll, it's, it's one nonetheless. That's lovely. <laughs> no, that's a really, that's great. What, what has been the most challenging thing for you? living this creative life because you really, I think you make your living like completely yeah, from, I your, mean, from your work. Yeah. So work. it's, yeah, exactly. From my work in one way or another. I mean, it's, it's this, it's Monster Alley artwork and Valley Cruise. So like, I don't have another job. That's what I'm doing. Um, and while they're all very pretty separate, actually, they're just all part of the, of the whole. Um, I mean, I'd be lost without my wife because she's the one I can be over here just thinking like, well, I want to do this. Or I want to do that or whatever. But like, she's a much more analytical person. And so, and I think you'd find this with a lot of people who are do a work cre creatively, you know, is that like next to them is a person who's <laughs> much better at their life. <laughs> um, but I think the biggest challenge really is just not letting myself get overwhelmed by like pressure to create and to, to be successful at creating. Because like, I mean, anybody who makes things knows like you make a lot of stuff that's not great. Uh, and that's all right. Like you have to get through a lot of, some garbage stuff to get that good stuff um and even still like the last like the adventures album i think is like one of my best records i, I like i i really like feel proud of it um but i spent like six months making music for that album and i hated all of it like didn't didn't use any of it and i think a lot of that had to do with my uh source material like i just wasn't happy and then like around that time where that turn is when i was in florida and bought all those records and when i came back i made the record in like six weeks you know what i mean um so just like not getting discouraged because there's so so much to get discouraged about in creating um and it's it's a struggle not to you talked about that overgrown show um which just for the listeners listening in was it was held at echo park rising it was in a gallery you were surrounded by your artwork right. um and you were playing live um 
and then now you've released um I guess it starts with Floating Island and then there was the Overgrown show kind of I think right. was happening at the same time it was coordinated and then now you've released this um Castaways Volume 1 um what are you working on now what's next Yeah so right now I'm working on the next full length so um and I and I've made like I don't know maybe like 30% sort of through what I'm what I'm thinking for it but we'll see like I I I kind of was having a similar thing where I was a little bit slow to start, but now I feel like I've kind of hit my stride a bit. So hopefully that'll be done in a little bit and be like springtime to come out. Um, we talked a little bit about it, but I'm also working on some production for some other people, which would be very cool. I'd be excited about that. And then also a couple of collaborations with some people, some, uh, some friends of mine. I don't know if you are familiar with any of the Monsterellian Rum Tum albums, but, um, my buddy Rum Tum and I were working on some new stuff too. So cool. Yeah. I asked you what is most challenging. What, what is most rewarding about your life? What do you sit back um, and reflect? Or if you allow yourself to reflect, what do you sit back and say, like, what do you find the most rewarding about what you do? Um, I, most rewarding is hearing people talk about, uh, feeling inspired by things I've done. Um, because I, it's just such a cycle with that. Like we talked all about Brian Wilson or Mad Lib or on, that's on the high level for me, but just on every little section, there's people who I'm doing what I'm doing because of them, you know what I mean? Um, and so to know that you're sort of playing a part like that to other people is, uh, you know, it's huge. And that's like at the times when I'm feeling the most discouraged about like, oh, like everything I make sucks. And <laughs> like, I don't feel like that often, but sometimes you do. And I think like, then I feel like it's always around that time. I'll get like an email from somebody being like, I just want to let you know, like I was inspired to start like creating collage because of your work. And then I, you know, like it's been so fulfilling to me in my life. And I think like, Oh, like you, first of all, thank you. Anybody who's written me because you're amazing. You didn't have to do that, but I'm happy that, uh, you know, that just makes you feel like it's not even about me. It's about what I created out there. Um, and people experience it differently, but I think like, okay, like, Let's try to make some more. Well, Ted, I cannot thank you enough for, for coming on to interview time and, and talking to me. Um, can we just, for my audience, just list out where we can find kind of where people should go if this is the first sure. time they're discovering your music, where should they go to? Yeah, to so I think one? just uh, wherever you like to stream music, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, you know, whatever you listen to, just search Monster Alley. Um, you know, all my records are there. If you're the kind of person who wants to download it, you can get it all on Bandcamp. You can stream on Bandcamp. It's all on Bandcamp for free. If you're interested in the visual stuff, my Instagram is probably the best. It's uh, at Ted Fian. It's not Monster Alley. But if you look at Monster Alley, you'll probably find it. And uh, finally, you could do monster-rally.com. So just search Monster Alley. You'll find it. You'll find <laughs> That's it. That's what I always tell my mom. She's always like, where can I find that thing? I said, just search Monster Alley, mom. You're going to find it. Also check out Valley Cruise, uh, Valley Cruise Press. There's a really, yeah. a lot of really cool stuff going on. There. Yeah, and what's cool about Valley Cruise, we work with a lot of other artists too. So that's like our platform to work. You know, I do, I do a lot of the creative myself, but also work with a ton of artists who like, I really love their work. And uh, like, that's been super rewarding too. So yeah, check it out. Nice. Well, Ted, once again, thank you so much. Thank you. Everybody, you've been listening to Interview Time. Ah, 醉夜已恨忘